0: Says, get that India. Big boy.
1: Call an ambulance. Might what a shot! What a shot! Campbell killer! Hello and welcome back to a bonus edition of the tip sheet. Much like a bit of golden point that you don't expect. We're here with a extra bit of runtime as myself. John, also known as 4020, is uh, joined by 60s for, yeah, an extra bit of podcasting this week because there's too much to talk about, mate.
0: Yeah, there is absolutely too much to talk about. And uh, yes, hello to all of our listeners that maybe aren't expecting a podcast at this time of the week, but we've just been so flat out. There's so much news going on, and uh, John might normally cover it in his podcast whiskey musings i might be covering some of it with bumpers up and uh, of course those two columns with uh thanks to star partners auburn and Norellen. but what we've decided to do is to cover that in a podcast edition and also bring in a little bit of expertise in reviewing the weekend just gone
1: yeah we sort of forged some fantastic partnerships um, on the tip sheet and beyond. And we're leaning on your connections this week to bring in a fascinating guest, mate.
0: Today, we're continuing with our theme of bringing in the expertise for our podcasts during the final series, which brings us to the guest. He's got a lifetime in rugby league in both playing and his media work. I've personally been stoked to be invited on his league coverage on SEN this season and uh, specifically his higher ground program. And now I've got the opportunity to throw questions his way. Chris Warren, welcome to the tip sheet. Great to be here, uh, 60s. Thanks for having me on, mate. Yeah, no dramas. Mate, you grew up in North Mead, a fine suburb, I must say, to grow up in. <laughs> uh, you're an Eels junior. You played in a winning Parramatta SG ball team. Can we confirm that the Eels are your team?
2: Oh, I think it's fair enough. You, you can confirm that 60s. Yeah, that's no secret. I mean, I would have, uh, as I said to you before, uh, many times I would have bled blue and gold back then as, as a kid. Um, I wouldn't have missed many games uh, at all. A uh, season ticket holder and always one day wanted to, wanted to wear the blue and gold, you know. So, yeah, no, I, I, I am. These days, believe it or not, I'm living in arch enemy territory. Um, I've somehow ended up over on the Northern Beaches. So my, my kids play for the, the local club. I coach at the local club, and um, it, of course, is the Monavel Raiders, which is um, heavily linked with the, the Drabojevichs. So, um, yes, Parramatta, but also, I guess these days, a bit of a soft spot for the old the old rival, Manly. Um And I guess because I played for, for West Magpies for a, for a few years, I've Got a bit of a soft spot for the, the poor old West Tigers as well. But, yes, blue and gold would be right to say.
1: No, it's always good to have another Parramatta Tragic on the show. And I can sort of understand <laughs> having a foot in a few other camps there, given, you know, where life takes you. And you can sort of understand that, even if it is the uh, the filthy seagulls. But, you know, lovely spot over in the northern beaches there, mate.
2: No, lovely part of the world. And uh, people think, oh, you can't. You, you can't seriously be having any feelings for Manly after what went on with our two clubs, eh? But during the 80s particularly but um, yeah and also being in the media I've got to sort of keep my my feelings um, on hold a little bit and be a little yeah. partial you know. so yeah, yeah in the media I'll, I'll always try and be as objective as I can and, and I don't like to let my, um, my true colors come through uh, during work time but um, yes no parameter <laughs> fan for sure.
1: Now, speaking about yourself, mate, you often downplay your footy days, but you were graded at the Magpies in the early 90s, and you're also part of the roster for the Western Reds, uh, which is a blast from the past for some of the younger fans of the podcast. But uh, Rugby League Pathways are like a a filtered funnel. Very few make it through to first grade. Does uh, having that background in professional football provide a different perspective for your roles in the media and your observations of the game?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think definitely um – well, you're right. No, It's, it's in my blood. I, I, I live it. I have lived it all my life. Um, I don't know what I'd do without without football, to be honest with you. I was only a plotter. I, I worked hard. Um, I worked probably harder than most of the other guys. They're a lot more talented than me. I, my, my dream would, was to play, you know, one NRL game. That's all I really wanted to do, and um, I wanted that to be with Parramatta. Sadly, that never happened. Uh, although I, I came through their junior reps, and as you say, I, we won an SG ball competition. Um, that was back in 86. Nice year, 86 for me. Yeah. So we won the SG ball. Um, yeah, but I wasn't able to be graded, and, and West Magpies offered me a go, and I went out there, and I remember the uh, the sign-on fee was $1,000. Um my agent was a bloke you might know uh, called Wayne Beavis who went on to Bigger and Better Things. I was, um, I was his first client and uh, $1,000 $1, was the sign-on um, with a few match payments here and there. But, you know, it was just a wonderful time playing out there and, and being part of a professional club. We had all three grades. Um, I started there as under-21s and then I was um, captain for a couple of years of reserve grade. but. Once you've given the little C next to your name, it's generally a sign that you're not going to go any further um, but I, I was fortunate enough to play a handful of first grade games under under Warren Ryan, and uh, it was a great experience yeah so but to answer your question, does that help in what I'm doing today? I think obviously yes, I think if you've had um, experiences in the game at, at that sort of level well that's got to be it's got to be um, of some assistance I would have thought if you if you're talking about the game.
0: Now, now you actually did something which um, there's only been a handful of players would be able to have done over the years. That is, didn't you score a try on debut?
2: I did. Um, i tell you what, and how often does that happen 60s these days? You see so many yeah, players yeah. score a try on debut, and I think a couple of Parramatta players this year have scored yeah, on well, debut. Yeah, we saw
1: Sean Russell got a double on debut against the Dots. Yeah, there
2: you go. There you go. Um, I don't know if Pennsylvania scored. Uh, J- J- yeah. Jacob
1: Arthur did against the Warriors. And then it was yeah. Arthur of one, Russell of two. And then so we all joked about Will Pennsylvania getting a triple for his uh, game against the Raiders, but he didn't score. But he did go on to score a couple after. So yeah, he has yeah, scored. It no, no, happens debut. all the time.
2: happens all the time. My try, though, I will be honest, um, I was never blessed with speed. Um, and I would have dived over all of probably two or three metres. I was supporting a player called Tony Casado. Um, it was up Not on the real. Gold Coast. Yeah, up on the Gold Coast against what uh, would have been Gold Coast Seagulls, I think, in those days. Um, and I just played, actually, a full game of reserve grade. So I was absolutely beat. I was knackered. <laughs> and then I think Shane Flanagan. Yeah, it was Sh- Flano was the first-grade hooker, and he must have got injured
1: early on
2: too into that, that game. So I played all first grade and then probably went on and played another sixty five or seventy minutes of first grade. Um yeah, so that would have been my my debut off the bench. Not my starting debut, but I yeah, I was lucky enough to score a try up there. Hmm. Not many yeah, well I, many. I should have <laughs>
0: rephrased that and said that not too many dummy halves score on
2: debut. That would well, have. That's, that's elite company um, now. Yeah, that is. Well, uh, stops See, Let's be honest, man. I didn't score many tries at all. As I say, I was. A yeah. I was built more for comfort than speed, but I, I worked hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, was a media career something that you
0: had ambitions for, or was that
2: something that evolved? No, it was not. Um, well, media-ish, but I really wanted to get involved in sports marketing. Um, sports marketing, sports management, and if and if I was to be honest with you, uh, at my age now, I would have thought that I was. You know, if I had a crystal ball twenty years ago, I would have thought that I might sort of be in a a managerial role at an NRL club. That was sort of where I wanted to head. And I've worked for a number of clubs and sports clubs, and um, including the Western Reds, the London Broncos. I was with them for a, almost a decade, so I've got a fair bit of experience in in running media departments marketing departments marketing is my background uh went to uni and studied that did a commerce degree um dabbled in a little bit of law as well but uh, no i didn't want to get into the media um i i guess grown up in in the media in in some respect um my dad's quite well known so i i you know sort of lived in his shadow a bit and I, i saw all that came with um Having a high profile or, or being in the public eye, you know, it's got its perks, obviously. But, um, you yeah, know, everywhere Dad went, he'd be asked for autographs here, there and everywhere. You know, and most most I'd go to most games with him at weekends too. He'd, he'd let me tag along and we'd be lining up at the gate for half an hour before kickoff, you know, signing autographs and all. And I didn't really like all that sort of attention. Um and he doesn't either to be honest with you, but he'll, he'll never say no to any, you know someone that wants him to sign an autograph. but that wasn't really for me, so I, I didn't really want to follow in his footsteps and pursue that type of career. Um, hence why I went to uni and, and was um, you know oh I, I was in a marketing role with Western Reds and a pretty high marketing role with London Broncos and IMG um, sports management in London as well. But it just turned out that um, I was in maybe the right place or the wrong place at the right time or wrong time and was given a job in TV over in London. Um, and that would have been in 1999. And the immediate career has not blossomed, but it's, um, uh, that's the sort of path I've, I've headed down.
1: And so you mentioned some of those stops earlier in your career, uh, the roles with the Western Reds, with the London Broncos, particularly that time in England. Um, And you talked about how going into media wasn't what you were initially looking for, which means that there Mm -hmm. must have been a pretty significant learning curve there because media is a, it's such a dynamic industry. There is so much you have to take on board.
2: Uh, Yeah. um, Well, media is part of marketing. Um, You know, it's one of the strands of of marketing, obviously communications. I've always been a good writer or enjoyed writing um, and I write copy and, and, and I enjoy that sort of stuff. So, um, it was sort of a, a journalistic type background, but more the marketing and, and commercial side was was what sort of I was more interested in. Um, but, yeah, challenging for sure, particularly challenging in those two roles um, heading over to, to Western Reds and, you know, it we were setting up a new club. So I went over there a year in advance, um, fresh out of university. That was my first real job. Uh, well, my first job was working with Peter Wynn's score-selling sports shoes but then my first real job um was over there with the western reds um as sort of their marketing executive and putting together all the sponsorship packages all that sort of stuff and selling it um uh and and running the media office then over so that was in an environment where you know rugby league wasn't the number one sport by any stretch in fact we had to really work hard um to get every square inch in any any paper you know or, or media exposure the same was could be said with London. Uh, it was really tough going over there, uh, as you know, you know, in the south of England or in London uh, rugby league. No one knows anything about it. It's very strong roots in the north of, of England. But so again, it was a real battle, and it was good. It was a really good experience for me to um, to scrape and, and and get any any sort of exposure for, for our our club and and our sport in um, London, which is saturated by football. So. It was a really steep learning curve, but it really toughened me up because I noticed when I came back from England um, here, the rugby league's our number one sport pretty much in Sydney particularly, you know, and and media managers these days don't really have to do a whole lot because everyone's calling them for stories. Everyone's uh, wanting to talk to the players, wanting to talk to the coaches. And I think I find some of them – they take advantage of that in, in some respects whereas over over there you know we had to fight and scratch for every square you know every column inch we could get and I think they take it a bit for granted here um, because you know they've got so they're in, in such demand as, as the number one sport in this city so yeah no it was a good lesson um, and and who knows I, I still might get back into that at, at some point in time.
1: And just one thing I wanted to follow up on is that, you know, we're obviously we're on a podcast here now and that's sort of the part of the rise of new media and, and the digital age. Has that really seen, like what from your position where you're, you know, you're on radio and you've been involved in media across multiple organisations, how has that transition sort of uh, come on board with you
2: from your point of view? Well, I'm probably a bit behind the leg to be honest with you. Um, and people keep telling me, you know, you should start your own podcast, and podcasts are the way to go, and and all that. Um, look, the the world, the media world, has really evolved, hasn't it? Last ten years, particularly, and everyone and anyone can have a voice. And you're all trying to get as many subscribers and and likes and followers that you can. Um, I don't know. Uh, and also, we all work together too. Like, you know, whatever 60s, for example, will come on my show. We'll always try and. Uh, regenerate that and, and get that out there on social media and vice versa um, so I, I you know I'm not very active in social media myself some might say that's to my own detriment but maybe I've missed the boat a little bit being a little bit old school um, I don't know I think it's a place for, for everything and uh, you know, I think it, it's good the podcast and the social media that does allow you know, every everyday fans to to have their voice um, and you never know. I mean, some some stories are are born out of yeah, you know, not a high profile media person or even a player or former player, but just your everyday fan having something worthwhile to say. You know?
0: Yeah. It's look. It is. It's been something that I've obviously got into uh, much later in life. I've uh, given that my my age and my name has seemed to have aligned uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, recently. Um, But that variety that you've that you've talked about from uh media management and marketing roles through to production you've done sideline reporting program presentation match commentary does having that of experience add to the enjoyment does it add to the skill set add to the resume
2: or is it really all of the above um i think all yeah all of the above I, i i do think i'm I'm probably a little bit unique without trying to pump my own tyres up in that I've worked on pretty much, I don't know, if if, if rugby league was a pie, um, there wouldn't be one little sector of that pie that I haven't had a nibble on, you know? Yeah. Um, as a player, as an administrator, as a media manager, as a marketing manager, um, in TV, in radio, Uh, And also in writing, because I I was writing a few magazines while I was in London as well. So it's pretty well-rounded. I think it is a pretty strong CV, but, you know, I mean, what's a CV worth? It's sitting here in my computer. I have gone for a number of jobs, actually, uh, with rugby league clubs over the past decade Had several interviews, um, Parramatta being one of them. But um, for whatever reason, the CV hasn't really helped to open too many doors, unfortunately. But from my own perspective, I know that I'm, Really well rounded, and 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 I can talk um, with and from experience pretty much across across anything, particularly the media landscape and and the production side. 260s, That was really that was another steep learning curve for me. I fell into television over in London. Then I got made redundant, or well, they didn't renew the rights over there for the NRL. Um, then another TV company wanted an Australian presenter, so I moved to another TV company. They then went bust and. Blah blah blah. They needed a producer to bring all the uh, the NRL feeds in and chop them up in AFL as well. So I was very much learning on the run the whole production side. Uh, to the point I then actually produced my own um, TV show for, from scratch um, in London, and it was um, it was quite successful. But it was again learning on the run. Um, but that, yeah, I think I've seen I've seen rugby league and rugby league media and rugby league marketing and media management, yeah, pretty much from every angle. So I guess I can I can sit and talk um, reasonably um, or from a, from a position of experience. Anyway,
0: mm-hmm. I can't I can't even begin to imagine the time that's involved in some of that because, and I'm only talking about from uh, the perspective of uh, putting together what we do on um a supporter website but just some of the things that you that i try to organize the the amount of time that it takes before you can i know yeah get it up and running it's just phenomenal
2: yeah well so we used to do okay so you have your big league magazine so i was pretty when i was with london broncos and again i'm not trying to big myself up but just to describe the way it worked over there we're on a bit of a shoestring budget i was Oh, it was the media office, the marketing office, the match day event office, um, you, you sort of name it. I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to cover all, all bases, if you like. So we would, well, I would write um, a 40-page magazine for each home game. As you know, getting all that sort of published and spell-checked and proofed and second-proof and printed to press on time delivery, then to the salespeople to get it sold on match day to try and at least break even or make a bit of profit. Um, but that was just one little sideline job, as well as trying to um, put match day entertainment together, as well as being the ground announcer um, and sometimes commentator as well. So it was, um, yeah, no, it's t- It's very time consuming. Um, as you know, in terms of the TV production side, well, that was that was a real eye out for me. So I was asked to, to make a one hour program um, ahead of the um, NRL grand final. And it would have been, oh, God, it would have been around about 2006 or seven, or maybe even 2008. It was Manly Melbourne, I think, in the end. But an hour program, a TV hour program, as a rule of thumb, you'd spend um, probably one hour in an edit suite for one minute of final production. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. 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 So, no, you yeah, very... Um, it was enjoyable, tricky and time-consuming and and costly as well, I imagine. Well, they went bust, didn't they? So <laughs> it probably was a bit too costly.
0: Well, one of our good mates, Joey Grimer, uh, was coach over at the London Broncos for a period of time. And I, I just remember that the roles even that the coach had to take on in rugby league over there outside of the coaching was um, – yeah, I, I can imagine what it'd yeah. be like for uh, NRL coaches to have to take on some of the roles that the uh
2: the, the coaches oh, over I'm in cool. England
0: would have taken on.
2: Yeah, well, we, I mean, over there, as I said, a minority sport, um, nowhere near the budgets that the NRL clubs have got. You, I think, you, when you go to, to that the Super League or to you know, to London Broncos as there were then, you you sort of know what you're getting into. I think you know that yep. your role will be um, much more expanded than than, say, a role over here. You won't have the staff and the resources that you might have. So, yeah, and no, no, I worked with um, Tony Ray, was um, the coach and the chief executive over there for, for a number of years. Les Kiss was there originally when I went there. Dan Staines came over. John Money came over and coached for a year while I was there as well. Um, Jimmy Dimmick. Oh, we had some good, some good players too, but um, enjoyable time. So I, I went there for a year uh, with a backpack. Um, broke up with my girlfriend in Perth, and uh, me and my mate said, "Let's go." So we went with a backpack for a year or two, and I stayed for for twelve or thirteen years, and came back with a with three kids. I think, yeah, it was three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't fit in the backpack. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, um, I don't know. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I won't go into that, but. Um, <laughs> I, I went with little baggage and came back with more. And uh, I'm sure plenty plenty
1: <laughs> of great stories to tell too. Let's bring things back to the present day, Chris, where SEN has become a terrific addition to the landscape for sports tragics. How did that particular role come about for you?
2: Uh, well, it's a pretty small industry really, isn't it, um, in, in sort of what I do. Um, I was working with 2GB and still do work with 2GB, but I was in their newsroom for oh, about five or six or seven years doing the really early morning breakfast um, news bulletins, uh, which would go through the Alan Jones program. So they were really early starts, and I I only went to 2GB doing that because I was given the punt from Fox Sports. I was um, a sports news presenter there for a few years, Uh, and then Rupert came into the building and handed out quite a few white envelopes and said, you're no longer required. Then, so I was out of work, and 2GB said, we've got uh, this sort of, um, if, if you're interested, so obviously I needed to pay the rent etc and I wanted to keep working so I, I jumped in there and I thought it might be a bit of a stock gap but it went on for six or seven years and uh, then at the end of last year probably about November they sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said um, sorry time for you to go you're being made redundant so out you go again it's happened a number of times I, I tell you what. Um, it's it's there's not a lot of security in
1: it's a pretty ruthless industry isn't it Just yeah it
2: certainly is yeah it certainly is and I, well, I, again i said to them well i don't really want to be made redundant i've got a young family etc but anyway um moved on and um i got a phone call from SEN saying look, we are here. you're out of work um would you like to come and do some uh radio presenting uh for when our presenters go on holidays etc so i filled in here there and everywhere and um and i'd never actually hosted my own radio show before, so that was a, that's been a steep learning curve but it really enjoyable um because you can be yourself you know mm. reading the news you that 's not me that 's not my personality I can try and be as creative as, as I can with the headlines et cetera but when you 've got your own show I think you, your own personality can can come out and I like to think i've got a personality <laughs> might, <laughs> might be too interesting um but so I was filling in there and then they said um Tell you what, would you like to have your own show and, and do a show for us on a, a few nights a week and on a Sunday? And I said, yeah, yeah, good as gold. So that's where we're at. And I don't know, I don't know how it's rating, but um, I'm enjoying it. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll see where we go. And um,
0: just before we do go away from the uh, media side of things and start talking to you about the footy as it is right now, I do have to ask. Over the years, you would have heard plenty of them, but who does the best impersonation of your dad?
2: Uh, My brother does a pretty good one. My older brother, Mark, (laughs) yes. Um, uh, Ronnie Ryan, you might remember Ronnie Ryan. He would have been playing through the 80s. uh, Balmain. Um, Yeah, he does a really good one, Ronnie. If, If you ever get a chance to maybe Google him, you might find something. But I often find it funny you, on some radio talkback shows and, and whatever they often – you hear it probably once a year. Someone, someone ring in, give us your, your best Rab's in, in, impression. So I don't know why. He, he's very um, impersonable, isn't he? Um, yeah, it's such
1: an iconic voice though, isn't it? And,
2: and, well, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and um, Twelfth Man doesn't go too bad either, does he? Really?
0: Doesn't he have your, uh, your uncle – Makes an appearance by the top man, Uncle, Reg. Yeah, <laughs> Reg, Reg Warren. But
2: there
0: is no, there is no... <laughs> okay, so let's let's now dig into the footy. Uh, on your match day program on SCN last uh, last weekend, you asked me about whether it's a good thing or not that the Storm and the Panthers can no longer meet in this year's grand final. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Um. Yeah, good luck to them. Uh, go for it. That's the way it is. Um, uh, I think it adds a few more layers to the next few weeks, doesn't it? I mean, suddenly the, the whole competition's been turned on its head. And I think it's a whole lot more exciting for that. Some might say, but hang on, these two were were clearly the best two teams after 25 rounds. So shouldn't they get the chance to play each other in the grand final? Well, they would have had the chance to play each other in the grand final. But, you know, that's what the finals were about. It's a whole new ball game. It's a new, it's a new competition. And, yeah, I know it's a long, old, a long old hard slog um, through the 25 rounds, but those 25 rounds are purely for the right to go into the, the playoffs. And that's yep. what you've got to see it as, a new competition. And I'm sure Brad would, would be saying that to his boys as well, Brad Arthur. Like, they went through a slump. People were given them no chance at all, but suddenly now look at them. You know, yeah. I mean, it's been a tough old slog for them. I mean, can you believe the, what the blue and golds have had to do? So Penrith and Melbourne, and now Penrith and Melbourne again, if they are to get to the to the big one. But but to answer your question, I think yeah, well, bad luck. It, you know, um, that's just the way it is. Yeah, the, that's just the, the way tension it is. of
1: the postseason football certainly ratchets things up a, a few degrees, doesn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean. That one result, South knocking Penrith off, it has just absolutely over. and brought, I think, so much more interest to the, to the postseason as well.
1: Now, when you were breaking down uh, the results from week one of the finals, you used the word clinical to describe the Melbourne Storm's victory over Manly. Just a fortnight prior to that, the Parramatta Eels defeated the Storm for the second time this season, completing a very rare clean sweep, the 2 0 uh, result against Melbourne. Can you identify what Parramatta did in those meetings that the other teams haven't gotten close to in executing against Melbourne, who are obviously the benchmark of the competition?
2: Well, Parramatta, met you'll you recall Manly, oh, I don't know, four or five weeks ago played Melbourne, and they threw a bit of caution to the wind, you know, they played, they went wide early, played wide, you've you got to sort of upset the storm and throw them out of their comfort zone, and do things that, not rattle them, but um, you, you just try and play set for set with Melbourne through the middle and, and you're not going to win. You're not going you to win. You have to try and play them a bit at their own game. I think that's what Manly did and I think that's what Parramatta did. Um, for some reason, Parramatta do have the formula that, that contained Melbourne's storm. But, you know, everything's got to go right on the day um, because they have got such an imposing pack of forwards, Melbourne. We know how good Brandon Smith has been. He's been their best player I think this year in my opinion. They've got Harry Grant that comes off the bench as well. Um, and they' are just you know, they're strong all across the park. I don't know. I don't know what it is about Parramatta, but um, they seem to have they seem to have the right formula when they, when they come up against Melbourne and I, and I can't tell you exactly what that is. I think it's a combination of a, of a number of different things. Your forwards have got to fire. Like at, at the weekend, when Regan Campbell Gillard and Junior Paulo are, yeah, they're throwing their weight around in the middle, and Nathan Brown is as well. You know, Parramatta can be in any game when their forwards match the, the opposition. I think, and, and Mitchell's, uh, yeah, Mitchell's been such an improved player since switching back to the right side. In my opinion, that's that's where he's he's naturally fits in. Uh, I think. Um. But people that say, look, Parramatta are no chance of making this, this grand final, I think you should think again, really. I really think you do, because uh, Penrith are the ones now under pressure this weekend. No pressure, really, on Parramatta whatsoever. They've already overachieved.
1: Yeah, when when Sixies it- and I were doing the breakdown of that second win in particular, we are trying to figure out what that nuanced sort of breakdown is of how to beat Melbourne. And the, the very basic way we sort of described it was... You've got to be violent in the collisions through the middle and, and, I suppose, desperate for the ball. You know, desperate to dive in the loose ball, desperate in cover defence because Melbourne just drive home those small percentage plays so often so well and you just have to want it more than them. And It, it seems so yeah. simple but it's so hard to execute at times.
2: Well, I go back to the Parramatta-Melbourne the, uh, game a few weeks ago when you, when you beat them and that you know, if you could describe that in one word, it would be just, you were hungrier. Yeah. You, you looked hungrier. But that's Melbourne every week, isn't they're, it, generally? Unless that's they have exactly a right. they have an they're, off game. They're based on the They were, They just look really, really hungry, hungry for the win. And, um, you know, they're human. They're all human, the Melbourne players, too. Uh, once they get a sniff that, geez, we're up against it here, well, anything can happen. You need a bit of luck on your side. Um, you need to have an equal share, if not more, of possession and a few things to go your way, no doubt about it. But um, they're beatable. You've beaten them twice. So apart from
0: um, th- those matches that uh, that we saw with Melbourne taking apart the, uh, apart Manly, was there anything from the first round of finals matches that surprised you or did it pretty much play out the way you expected?
2: Um. I thought Manly would be more competitive, to be honest with you. In fact, I tipped Manly, I, I, but but they were silenced, um, and it wasn't because of Turbo. Turbo, I think, was below par because a few players around him didn't, didn't do their job. Um, your boys, I expected them. Uh, I expected them to beat Newcastle. Um, so that was uh, nothing too surprising about that, but you know, I was really impressed with Mitchell. I think everyone was impressed with... Mitchell Moses, so he's, he's coming good at the right end of the season. Uh, I did not expect Penrith to get rolled um, by South Sydney. I, I thought they would win. I didn't think it would be a, a flogging, but I thought they'd win reasonably comfortably. South Sydney, I mean, that's the big surprise factor, the way they came out and did that. Um, how they did it, well, again, like we were just saying before with Parramatta against Melbourne, they were hungry. They were abs- just, just so hungry. And one of the big strike weapons for Penrith this year has been Brian Totter. He's, yeah. his meters, you know, he's, he's up around the 200 mark each match. Well, he was hardly sighted. In fact, the, the few times I saw him with the ball, he was going back towards his own goal line, Yeah, um, monstered by about three or four Bunnies players. That's the sort of stuff, you know, that's the sort of stuff you, you've got to bring to finals football. Now um, the the Roosters game. Well, yeah, you know, I, you know, I think I think they've got to be at the end of their run, haven't they? The Chooks. Um, I, I really do. I mean, it's been an amazing run for them, but I I, I can't see them going any further. I was actually. I amazed. keep thinking this is this is one match too far for them. That's what I keep thinking every week. This is one no, match yeah. too. Far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you still look at their team, though. It's still a bloody strong team. Oh, you yeah, to have team. that
0: number of players out. And then you look at who's still taking the field for them and you think, um, well, gee, that's, that about, that's, um, that's,
2: that's a fortunate a very good, Very good management, very good uh, yeah. management or uh, very good salary cap management. At least that's it. <laughs> or a bit of both. Yeah.
1: I mean, one, one moment that really jumped out for me, and it's kind of hard to miss, it was that Patrick Herbert sort of misfire at the end to steal a huge win for the Titans. And the reason it really jumped out for me is that the Titans are a franchise that hasn't had a lot of success recently, but they've had a new coach installed in Holbrook who's done a pretty solid job. And that could have been a real defining moment for them under a new coach and, and something to hang their banner on. And now they've missed that moment and they're bundled out of the finals. I don't, I don't know. It just it, – it's a funny game rugby week, and those sort of things.
2: Yeah, I – yeah, but they, they were you know very competitive and um, but they were just far too inconsistent throughout the season. The Titans, in my opinion, for their roster, that's fair. Yeah. They you know and and inconsistent within games as well. They they rarely played for the full eighty minutes until sort of the back end of the season. But again, a team that's uh, I think lost fourteen and won 10. was that their record, something like that. It was, uh, yeah, was. Let's, let's be honest, they were making up the numbers. Yeah.
1: Now you sort of alluded to this a little bit just prior, but moving forwards into week two of the finals, all the matches are now sudden death. Everyone is out and losing your out. Does that add yeah. extra pressure to the teams in particular that were considered either certainties or strong favourites for the title that now find themselves in this new arena?
2: Um, well, it's pressure on all teams now um, and equal amount of pressure because it, it is sudden death. You know, but The two that have gone through, Melbourne and South, um, such a big advantage for them having that week off. It it really is. And you would have seen, too, the teams that rested players in round 25, um, they had successful finals games, didn't they? Parramatta rested a stack of players. South Sydney. South Sydney rested a stack of players. Um, And Melbourne rested a stack of players as well. So at the back end, I think there's a lot to be said for that that week, that week off. And so Melbourne and South, they're going to really benefit again from having their teams uh, to be able to be fresh. Um, but the teams that, you know, the big shock result was Penrith. And as I said earlier, they, they now, they're on equal footing with Parramatta. No difference about it, you know. Um, so there's probably more pressure on Penrith because expectations were, were higher for them. Um, there's probably more pressure on Manly, I think, because expectations are probably higher for them. But I still think Manly will take care of the Roosters, and it would not surprise me if Parramatta can beat Penrith at all. It would not surprise me at all. Well,
0: last week we had the mind games kicking off with uh, Bennett and and Cleary going toe to toe. From a media perspective. What do you think was the biggest talking point from that first week of the finals? Was it the games? Was it the refereeing decisions?
2: Or was it the coaches' war of words? Um, well, I think that was the most prominent one, wasn't it? Um, Cleary Bennett. That was the, um, it that was was the big one. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also, you're asked the question, well, did, did that really heighten the referee's attention to To the ruck and to the block runners, I think it did too, didn't it? Of course it did. And we had a a few decisions at the weekend revolving around that, some right, some wrong. But I think that that's what spiced it up. But, I mean, he's old man, Bennett. He's just remarkable, isn't he, the way he can – no one gave him any chance. Let's be honest. No one really gave him any chance.
1: Bennett were overwhelming favourites for sure in that head-to-head.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um I called that game and, and Blake Taffy dropped the second one and I thought, oh no, this is going to be a long night for him. But sure enough, he, he handled it and he sucked it in and bit down on the mouth guard and, and away he went. And, yeah, and get, I, think, yeah, I think that was the, you know, the big story from week one was uh, was the Bennett Cleary stuff.
1: Yeah, and, and just that turnaround for South Sydney, that were absolutely manhandled by Penrith earlier in 2021. and. They obviously used that as bullet-to-bought material and, and really knuckled down and, and took it to the Penrith Panthers physically. Well, so, sure, yeah.
2: they lost both games to them. 56-12, yeah. I think, and 25-12 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and Penrith, we know how good defensively they are. They concede about 11 or 12 points on average per match. And still, they only let 16 in, didn't they? But um, their attack was misfiring, unable to fire. Because, again, it comes back to that, that, that word, that hungry defence. And that's just the way it's got to be in finals.
1: Now, this week, round two of the finals, both of last week's losers, which would be the Penrith Panthers we just spoke about and the Manly Seagulls, they're both overwhelming favourites to return to the winner's list. I think the bookies have got Manly down for roughly twenty favouritism, while Penrith are even shorter at dollar twenty three. Uh, are those odds a fair reflection of what we can expect in each match? I know we mentioned the Roosters are a little bit undermanned and they've sort of been battling from week to week against what seems to be a new injury or suspension uh, to their roster, while Parramatta and Penner, if that's a massive derby game
2: Um, Firstly, the the, the Roosters-Manly game, I haven't um, obviously teams aren't out yet and i'm not sure what's going to happen with Sam Beryls um for our listeners and i'm not sure when this podcast is even played but you know they'll they'll make up the numbers the roosters they'll have a very competitive team either way i just think you know you uh you will see a much improved manly team uh from from what we saw um i think their their back rowers um schuster was was well below his best um well, the Mollikawatu was below his best as well. Morgan Harper played a game that he won't ever want to talk about again. We know Tommy was well below his best. I didn't see Kieran Foran. I'm not sure if he played or not. Uh, Daly Terry Evans was quite as well. You know, they've got so much improvement in them. I don't know where the Roosters' um, improvement really will, will come from. So I think, I think Manly should be favourites for that one. Um, but if the Roosters were to win, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a major surprise. Um, and then the Book of Feuds would have another another chapter or two to write about. So Manly yep. deserve favouritism in that one. Penrith quite rightly defer, d- deserve favouritism um, up against Parramatta. They've won both um, matches this season, but I think it was only thirteen twelve back in round two or three or whenever that f- might have been. Moses
1: with a penalty shot from just inside the halfway mark to win it.
2: That's right. That, that's right, and then obviously uh, a couple of weeks ago. Well, don't even, don't even worry about that because that wasn't the real Parramatta team. So Penrith deserved to be favourites. Um, what were the prices there, John? You,
1: you said dollar uh, twenty three for Penrith, so strong favourites there. Let's see if they've got the line for Parramatta four fifty. So Penrith actually oh. firmed into a dollar twenty now. Prior to team was Tuesday, and Parramatta out to four fifty.
2: Yeah, I'd be taking some of that. As I said, I. It would be the story of the season if if Panthers were to go out in straight sets. But their confidence will be down. They really will be down after last week. They're going to pick themselves up. Um, You guys don't. Uh, I thought Blake Ferguson was good. Penasini was good. Junior Paulo, Regan Camel-Gillard were good. It's a worry you haven't got a specialist hooker in there at the moment. Um, But you seem to be compensating with that. Um...
1: Yeah, we're waiting to see the team list coming out in just over an hour uh, on this uh, Tuesday the 14th, but there is hope that Joey Lussick might be able to make a return from a calf strain, but the timeline's a little bit vague it's between mm-hmm. one, one to three weeks for that sort of injury, so there's a, here's an outside chance, it looks like, it playing this week, but I suppose the big yeah. thing about, about this one is just the, the eddies and currents that make up momentum. You know, the Eels, like you said before, were down and out for that month of football where they were just playing dreadful you know, everything was going wrong and they, they couldn't get any sort of grip in any given yeah. contest. And and now, you know, you upset Melbourne and you go on and have a solo show against Newcastle and you just, you're starting to trend upwards. And that, that can play a big part in an upset game in, you know, week two of the finals, I suppose.
2: Well, absolutely. And, and to be honest with you, I think I think some coaches w- w- wouldn't mind that at all. Um, it's good to have a bit of a dip because you've got somewhere to climb. You know what I mean? You can't be up the whole season. Like Penrith were up for so long. Uh, Melbourne have been up for so long. They took a bit of a dip. I mean, they kept winning their games, but their form uh, did drop off, didn't it, towards the back end. And maybe they were just getting a little bit complacent, a little bit bored, don't know. Uh, But they got back to top gear against uh, Manly at the weekend. Uh, But that dip that Parramatta went through, nothing wrong with that at at all if you can taper yourself to get back to your best footy um, at the business end. And um, that's where we are now. So... I'm sure Brad Arthur won't have any problems whatsoever with his team going off the boil a bit because here they are, um, one win away from a prelim final up against a team uh, who beat them by one point earlier in the year.
0: So that now brings us to um, really holding you to a couple of predictions. So what I'm after from you, Chris, is going to be um, the margins that suit for the uh, footy uh, tab punters, so I'm after a winner and I'm after a margin, either one to twelve or thirteen yep. plus. So mm-hmm. first of all, the uh, the Manly and Roosters game, Manly one to twelve. Okay, and uh, Eels and Panthers, Eels one to twelve. Oh, I'm, I'm liking the do, uh, the odds like that, that are going man. to be there on Eels one to twelve. Yeah, and and finally with that what's your big media headline that we will see as we are into the third week of the final series
2: third week of the final series so i'm saying manly are going through um i'm saying parameter going through okay um okay uh, let's go with electric storm, electric storm, can lightning strike thrice? Oh, there beautiful. I love, I love beautiful. the pun. It's beautiful. Righto. I wonder
0: if by chance there's uh, any editors out there that
2: are listening, they might steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> they can have it. They can have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you imagine that? Or what about this? Can you imagine Manly and Para Grand Final? Yeah, yeah. That,
1: that that um yeah, if you look at the brackets now, there are some fascinating matchups that can happen because there's obviously a lot of history between Melbourne and Manly in the Grand Final between Manly and Parramatta, uh, yeah. and even in the qualifying final. Now you talked about the Book of Grudges. If the Roosters get through. That South-South matchup's got a lot, a lot of spice to it.
2: Well, we've got we've got a few grand finals, really. you know, even like if, if if the Roosters get through against south what a prelim final that would be, right? That's almost a grand final. You've got, you know, if 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 Penrith get through against Parramatta and go up against Melbourne, well, there's the grand final people. That everyone had built yep. mm-hmm. um, yep. Then you got if if, if Parramatta can get through against against Melbourne, well. They've played one before, haven't they? Um, yeah, no, there's, there's, there's some big games coming up and, and big sort of possibilities as well.
0: I hope the Queenslanders appreciate that they're going to get to have this sort of football served on the platter to them this year because if there's one thing that's driving me crazy, it's not being able to get to live footy in the uh, at this time of year.
2: Yeah, I guess, you know, well... I haven't been to a game for a while. Uh, well, actually, the start of round one, I reckon, was the last live game we called because it's all been based in the studio. I know it's difficult, isn't it? It is, um, particularly if, if you're more, you know, fans and season ticket holders and members. I imagine it must be really, really tough for them. Um, but at least we got the game. At least it's still going, and we'll get back to normal soon.
0: Uh, fingers crossed, there, mate. I'm sure we will.
1: No good way to sign off, mate. And. Um... Chris, thanks for coming on to our show, onto the tip sheet. It's always great to talk football about those that are really passionate and those that have a foot uh, right into the thick of things in the, in the sort of the makeup of the game. And given your you know, history and, and where you are right now with SEN 1170, it's great to be able to get your insight on the show.
2: Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and uh, keep doing a great job.
1: Thank you, mate. And um, if you look in the catch, Chris, he's on SEN 1170, as I mentioned, host of Higher Ground, which I think is tri-weekly, right? Monday, Wednesday, Friday.
2: Yeah, it is. Monday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. The moment, through there the finals. Yeah, and then, finals. then we've got the match day, match day, midday on Sundays.
1: No, too good. So make sure you drop him a line and give him a listen. And you can um, catch the dulcet tones of 60s on the show every now and then as well.
2: Yes, yes. He's a good fellow, that 60s. <laughs> he's, <all laughs> right. yeah, he's not bad, I think. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> okay. He's um, from North Mead. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. North Mead
1: <laughs> represent. All right, Chris, thanks for coming on, mate. And you all keep right, mate, well.
2: All right, See you, boys. Cheers.
1: And once again, thanks to Chris for coming on to the tip sheet. That was a fantastic chat. All right, 60s, uh, before we dive into the team list for round two or week two of the finals, let's go around the NRL and sort of talk about some of the uh, topical things that came out of week one of the finals. What's uh, first on your agenda, mate?
0: Well, first on my agenda is uh, the two, well, the three Eels players that were put on report last weekend. I really didn't see too much in that, uh, first of all, we had Wonga Blake, who as that, it turned out, had no case to answer. That was did, bad. Did that, did that remind you in any way of? I remember when um, we had Kane Evans a couple of years back, sent to the sin Against bin St. during George, a match, essentially for tackling too hard. The
1: the, the referee literally like said, in, in other words, you tackled him too hard, so you're going to the sin bin, and that that was a similar case there. That they stopped playing, came back and awarded, a, uh, put him on report, and. Oh, sorry, one of the was this time around, and, and the replay showed there was nothing, and he just hit the guy too hard. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. that was terrible. I could at least understand why the other two incidents were uh, penalised and put on report. Uh, you know, there was enough reason there for the referees to do that. Although I don't know why Newcastle were given a penalty when possession had changed over um, for the Junior Polo incident. they knocked on the ball and Parramatta were in, in now in control of possession, and instead Newcastle Knights got a penalty, but... That's the long short of it from there. But the good news is, 60s, is that, like I said, Wangabike Bike didn't have a case to answer. And then for the other two, thankfully, uh, no charges to see them miss games or take early guilty pleas or have to contest. Well, not contest to get a downgrade at the very least uh, because they were both given fines. I think Dangerous Contact Other was uh, the charge for Murata, And uh, Junior, I think, got Dangerous Contact to the head, I think. Or something like that. So... <clears throat> They're both eligible for selection this week, which is a huge boost to the no doubt. But the fascinating news out of that, though, is that NRL.com are reporting today that Murata's going to fight his fine. And I don't think I've ever seen that in the NRL. Maybe, maybe someone can cite it in the comments about a, a player from another club, at the very least, uh, going to the judiciary to fight a fine. But I don't ever think I can recall someone contesting their fine. Like, not to miss a game. Or we've seen people you know, contest the Grade 1 charges to get it downgraded from a... A game to a fine we've seen that plenty but i I don't think i've ever seen someone actually contest the fine itself
0: i'm in the same boat as you mate i can't recall anything uh one can only assume that there are no negative consequences for losing that contest of the of the uh fine i mean i'm assuming that you can't go from uh, a fine to uh being suspended for a week as as a result of contesting a fine um and obviously they feel it's worth their while, or at least Murata does, and you'd assume that has the club's backing that they don't think there's enough in it to have warranted a a fine being made.
1: And when I was trying to wrap my head around this and puzzle out why you would contest the fine, obviously, firstly maybe the club and the player just feel that you know they could be I think it's nineteen hundred dollars is what the fine is. They could be nineteen hundred dollars better off because they feel like they've got a case to beat this. But the other thing though, uh, that came to me in, in trying to make sense of it was that, as we all know, there is a loading system in the NRL and there's two sets of loading. There's a loading for a prior similar offense and a loading for a prior non-similar offense. And the non-similar offence is attracted 20% loading on whatever charge you get in the future. But a, pri- a loading charge that is similar attracts a hefty, I think it's 50% loading on top of whatever you get. So Morata's was charged with dangerous contact other as a specification there. So, in a future charge, if he was to get something similar, he'd be cop uh, an additional 50% on top of whatever the base load or uh, base charge is for that offence. So maybe they just want to get that struck off his record, uh, in which case he do not ever cop the base charge on the next similar offence. So that that was my other reasoning perhaps why they're contesting this charge.
0: Yeah, it, it, it has to be, there has to be some logic behind it because um, you just you just think that's, that's a lot of, work to go through to prepare the case to go to um uh then present it and i know it's 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 all being done via a video link and that sort of thing these days but you just think well it's a lot to go through but um anyway um so that was the first thing that uh, caught my eye and it was um the next one that i wanted to raise then was again from the Parramatta game and that that was the uh, penalty try discussion, which has seemed to have taken over the headlines after the game, I mean, forget about the what we spoke about of that obstruction ruling that where the Knights were allowed to keep a try, but then to have so many um, commentators and analysts want to either take apart the awarding of a penalty try based on what had happened to Victor Radley. In the night before's game, where he was denied a penalty try, um, and to say that Victor Radley was a stronger chance of getting the uh, of getting to the ball and scoring because he was actually over the line when it happened, and um, and that that on that basis that it shouldn't have been a penalty try to Parramatta, so they weren't even talking about what the specifics of Parramatta's instance was, um, and then it sort of took another tangential leap into discussions about what constitutes a legal kick and whether that should be brought into discussions next year when a when a, a drop kick has always been a drop kick for as long as I can remember and um, all of a sudden that, what are they saying? They don't want it to be a drop kick unless it's going for um, a goal or, or a, a line drop out or a 20 metre drop out. Is that it? Uh, I don't know. I, I just think why are they, again, talking about a rule change? Because something looked ugly? Is that it? Because it was an ugly-looking kick? I don't know. So, um, yeah, as far as I was concerned, mate, it was a blatant penalty try. I thought you could literally have footage of what happened to Will Pennicini chasing the ball and package have that as part of a package of what constitutes. Oh yeah. It,
1: it could be used as instructional material. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that is quintessentially what, you know, there, Caelan Pongard overshot the ball. There was no other Newcastle defender in the vicinity to contest the possession. The ball pops up at chest height for as easy easier, uh, you know, acceptance of the ball of, of the football itself. You'll ever see for a player chasing a grubber kick. So that, that was quintessentially a penalty try there. And, you know insofar as the drop kick, I don't mind people arguing saying that we should change the rules about it but if you're trying to apply that logic and grandfather it back to the matter to the Gufferson incident, that's just stupid. like the rules as they are written right now mean that that was completely legal and there is no, like nothing wrong with it. If you want to talk about changing drop kicks to have intent or you know be applied specifically to like you said 20 meter restarts or going for the field goal itself, okay, whatever but that's a separate conversation to what happened in our game or at least trying to argue as to why it shouldn't be a try. I mean, the rules are the rules.
0: Yeah, it, it seemed to me that people were fabricating reasons for that not being a, a clear penalty try when, as I said, it was textbook penalty try scenario. And um, you, there could have been a case made that the... Incident around uh, Victor Radley should have been a penalty try. If it had have been awarded a penalty try, I don't think I would have debated that. But whatever happened in that has nothing to do with what happened in the Parramatta game because, firstly, it was a completely different scenario where you had three people literally running together uh, pursuing a, a bouncing ball in the end goal, and Radley had got ahead of it, had, had just edged ahead of the other players. So, uh, but there was still going to be a a contest, regardless of of um, what was happening at the point where there was contact made with him. That said, as I said, I I wouldn't have argued if a penalty try had been awarded with that. But just because something wasn't awarded in one game, where whether it was a mistake or not a mistake, does not have any bearing on. Another instance, which was uh, you know, literally the epitome of a pen- penalty try. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that was that was the other thing just to um, catch my attention over the weekend. And um, if I was to do a quick summary of the of the of the games that we saw, I'd say. With the uh, the storm and Manly, I thought Manly just didn't earn the right to shift the ball the way they did. Yeah. We spoke with Chris Warren earlier about it, and he said teams lift, literally have to find a different way to play football to beat uh, to beat the storm. But I don't, and and Manly had employed that shift policy with the storm before, but I didn't see that they did anything to earn the shift, and it and it. It looked like they were well, it almost reminded me of of when the Eels played the Roosters. I was gonna say and that was really the shift for shift state exact, sake.
1: Exactly. Is that that's what that entire descriptor reminded me of was when we got caught up going sideways, you know, in the midfield desperately in a in a contest and we were we were far more into that in into that contest than Manly were relative to the storm as opposed to us versus the roosters but geez there were some similarities there where you just you're throwing the ball around trying to find something desperately and just not getting any traction anywhere and that's because it starts back through the middle you got to compete in the ruck you got to win the contest got to win the the physical clashes there and and manly just got to overrun
0: yeah, I think really, uh, I mean, were they treating the Storm as they were their other opponents? I, I wondered that as well yeah, because maybe that's a they, case. they've almost had a free reign to throw that ball around in recent weeks. Well, and, you know, then again, and you go, how good or well, how... Wasn't well, the opposite? It, it, it <laughs> probably wasn't great preparation for them I to not have a hard match uh, in the lead up.
1: That that game was the definition of like the old Mike Tyson quote, where everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And they they had been cruising for a long time, and and you know, sort of Tommy tobovich highlight reel has been playing on Fox and whatnot this week. And I've been you know half watching them while cooking or doing something else and you see some of those tries and tommy's obviously having an insane season this isn't to discredit him but you see some of those tries and like goodness they're soft like the opposition defense is just standing off him or falling off tackles where tommy's capable of great athletic prowess and, and incredible physical feats but he wasn't doing anything particularly amazing it's just the defense being real bad and i think that that sort of encapsulates what happened to manly on a macro level where they'd beaten up on a lot of bad teams, and then they met us the first time where they were emotionally fired up because of the Bob Fulton passing, and the second time, obviously, we were just dreadful in the absolute depths of our slump, and they beat up on us as they should. But outside of that, they hadn't you know really taken on top-level competition in Melbourne. Jeez, that was a massive re-evaluation of where they were at, right? I'll tell you what.
0: Well, Manly has only beaten one team in the top six this year, and that was Parramatta and they only played seven matches against top uh, six teams, as opposed to both Parramatta and Penrith playing ten matches, all ten matches against top uh, six teams. That means there's five other teams. They played them twice. Manly only had to play two of the teams twice. That was Parramatta and Penrith. They'd only played the Storm once. They'd only played uh, the Roosters once. Uh, They'd only played South once. So... Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a different level of preparation they had, and a lot of those games from memory were pretty much at the start of the year when they had that losing run. They were they they had a couple of those tough contests up around that part of the year, so they'd got rid of a lot of their um, challenges in the early season and had run into that rich rain, rich vein of form uh, as the season had progressed because they weren't being asked as many questions and. Full credit to them. They really did put teams to the sword. But again, the question has to be asked, was that the ideal preparation? Now, if you say, no, all those wins weren't the ideal preparation, then last week, uh, losing to the Storm in the manner that they did, that falls into the basket of here's here's your reality check, here's your preparation for finals football. The question is, do they learn from it or do they take the pounding from it, and um, and it's a shot uh, that destroys their confidence. Mm. Which way do you think that's going to go?
1: If they are versing a, even a slightly healthier Sydney Roosters outfit, you'd sort of be asking that question in, in very, very interesting tones because, jeez, like... We, we speak about confidence and, and how liquid it is and trying to bottle it, you know, metaphorically on the podcast a lot and, and how volatile sports are because of it. And sometimes just a, one loss like that can really set you on a downward trend. And we saw off Parramatta this year, you know, you, you get one bad loss and or, or you can't quite convert on a win that you should have had. Like, for instance, us versus Penrith, where, you know, maybe if we win that game, things turn around differently in a sliding doors moment. And yeah, all of a sudden you can go on a run and unfortunately we had the luxury of making a few, uh, you know, errors and drop games because of our, you know, time away from the finals. But now for Manly, it's, you, you can't afford, you can't afford it. You can't drop another game. Otherwise you're out and, you know, you've, you, you will have wasted one of the great individual runs of the modern NRL. And, you know, we, we talk about Tommy in, you know, these hallowed terms now because of what he's done this year, but. Ben Barber and Jared Hang took their teams to the grand final. And if he, if he fails to do that, that's going to be such a blight on the Seagulls and geez, they've got to do it tough though.
0: Yeah. Yes. So look, they're they're favorites against um, the Roosters this week. And um, as we spoke with Chris earlier in the, in this podcast, it, it, the roosters are banged up. It may be a step too far to expect them to But like you said, it's, it's been a step like too to. far
1: for two or three months now for the roosters. And they've yeah. found ways, even if they have been beaten up a couple of times, I think, was it Melbourne or Penrith that absolutely wiped them? Uh, they, they've found ways to stay in it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them challenge Manly at the very least.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, again, I wouldn't be surprised either because we keep waiting for that week where they... Uh, where they start their their um, downhill slide. And uh, and every time that we thought that that was coming, where they have had a couple of matches where they've been beaten up, they found a way to regroup, even with uh, a lot of players out. Um, uh, speaking of the Roosters, their victory over the Titans, uh, is it fair to call it lucky? Uh,
1: I think it might be. I think it might be. Uh, yeah. I mean, credit to the defense for getting back. I don't know if they were onside, to be honest. Credit for the defence to getting back on that bow firm or break down the left sideline, but uh, Patrick Herbert butchered that, mate. There, there is no two ways about it. And like we said, when I, when I sort of profited to Chris, I think this might go down as a franchise-defining moment for the Titans, and unfortunately of the negative kind. You know, new coach, second year in, in Holbrook who's done a pretty good job, you know, or, or at least a decent job getting that roster to be somewhat competitive. And while they may have underperformed for the most of 2021 relative to expectations. I do think that fan expectations are probably a little bit too high, but this was a chance to steal a huge win against one of the glamour clubs and one of the premiership heavyweights in a given year in the Sydney Roosters. And uh, Herbert just had to do one of three things. He had to either pin his ears back and go for it, which he sort of half did, but he didn't really commit to it. He had to turn David Fafita back inside for an easy try, or he had to find uh, his winger, uh, uh, Corey, Corey Thompson. Yes, yeah, Corey Thompson, who was just unmarked, he had to do one of those three options. And instead, he sort of goes himself, but then doesn't commit, and then flings the miracle offload to Thompson, who was not, you know, anywhere near the ball because the ball was off off trajectory. And instead of a incredible all time comeback victory, you know, where they still won, they just throw it away. Oh, it had
0: it it did. Have shades of their last game against the Roosters written all over it because yes, in yep. that game they had a massive comeback. Yep, got ahead and then uh, from memory, I think Fafita turned the ball over with not too long to go in the match when they were working back downfield and maybe could have put themselves into a position for a, a field goal. I think they might have been leading by six points at that stage, but at the very least, they were working towards. Um, maybe squeezing the, the Roosters out of that game um, just simply with territory and possession. And then it was it was a cheap turnover. The Roosters ended up scoring and then um, uh, getting their field goal to um, clinch the match. But it just had that feel about it. I also wondered whether Sammy uh Philip Sammy did the wrong thing in staying outside of Fermore.
1: Yeah, it sort of limited his ability or his options to to make that play on the line break.
0: Yeah, like if as I was watching it I I was thinking to myself cut back in. Yeah. You know, he's cuz uh, you had um uh, uh Tedesco
1: and then walked working work
0: for Firmore away towards the sideline and you just felt that if um if Sammy had have come in earlier, it would have been first of all a harder chase for um, uh, Walker yeah. to, to run him down because he, he ended up cutting back in sort of at, the, at that last minute with the uh, when when the pass went to him and he changed direction, cut back in. But that had allowed Walker to to gain a bit of ground on him as he as he steadied for the that uh, that pass, but. I just had the feeling that if he had gone in infield earlier and then it was draw Tedesco, pass on the inside, that maybe he would have been a better chance of getting the rest of the way to the line. It is a matter of what-ifs for the Titans, and as you said, that could be a defining moment. Do they use that to spur them on, or is it something where it eats away at their psyche? Um, But... The other thing too that we spoke with Chris about uh, winning ten and losing fourteen, how does that get you into a final series?
1: Twenty twenty one's a yeah. very very interesting year, mate. <laughs> it's going to go uh-huh. down in the record books for a number of reasons. I reckon, obviously the Melbourne Storms for and against, and uh, the Penrith Panthers' defence, but yeah, the the bottom of the eight as well. And and speaking of the Titans, David Fafita, sixty eight minutes, nine runs, eighty meters in a sudden death game. He is on one point two five million a year or thereabouts. That that is just. Oh, like what do you even say?
0: You- I, I I don't know. Is it is it his level of involvement that he's making himself? Is it the way they've structured their attack around him? Um, I I just don't I, I I don't understand how someone as devastating with his with his running is not getting the ball in his head. <laughs> and then of course you have to look at that last play, and you go. Why are they not looking to get the ball yeah. into
1: his? Yeah, on the on that shift, it's like okay, get the ball to David, let him go against the scrambling defense, get the one on one. He is going to carry someone over the try line, regardless of whoever it is. And 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 yeah, I, I just he he is so destructive and so talented, but the production's just not there consistently. And he he had the first third of the season where he had like nine tries or something like that across like the first a uh, couple months of football, and then just he has been a non factor since.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. If if I was a Titans fan who was watching the, my team religiously and um, analysing the the strengths, the weaknesses, the way that we're playing, I might have an answer to that question as to whether it's for feet or whether it's the structures around him. Um, what you simply have to say is it's a, a waste of... Um, the talent or it's a poor use of your finances or either way it's uh, it hasn't been good for them and then maybe that'll be part of their postseason review is how is it that when we've got such a destructive player in our team that the ball doesn't end up in his hands as much as it should
1: but realistically uh, he should be an 80-minute weapon on the edge you should, I, I don't mind players coming off the bench making impact we've spoken about this at length about the importance of bench rotations but if you're getting paid that sort of money, you've got to be eighty minutes. You've got to be, you know, be able to influence the game in the first minute, in the twenty-third minute, in the fifty-fourth minute, or in the seventy-ninth minute. You've got to be there and be available. And he just isn't. And once again, yeah. is, is that is that him? Is that the coach's opinion of him? What's going on there?
0: Yeah, it's that's. I think that definitely has to be answered by the Titans as they move into next year and maybe look to. I mean, because from a table point of view. They improved one place, didn't they? They finished ninth last year, went to eighth this year. But did they improve on points? Or Uh, was that pretty much the points that they got last
1: year? Last year, bear in mind that it was only a 20-round competition. They won nine games and lost 11. So their win rate was much better last year, I believe.
0: Yeah. So even though they've improved in terms of getting into the finals, you'd have to say, in terms of performance, they, they didn't. And... Um, i dare say and i'm only guessing this without looking at it that their their uh, differential might have been better last year than this year yes um, at this stage
1: so negative 117 in 2020 and if we go to round 25 uh negative three no actually improved so oh okay. Yeah, lost, okay lost more gains but improved their uh differential so small i victories. think
0: that they, they had a they had a big win in the last round didn't they that didn't hurt that over the Warriors. Yes. So that's they, they improved they, that they uh, the significantly. They they were part a... of that
1: two-leg uh, bet that yielded $13,000 on sports bet, I think. It was the Dogs to win to zero and the Titans to win to zero. And they, the punter turned it a very small investment into $13,000. So there you go. Look.
0: Yeah, I, I just remember um, them being in a uh, – not the, not the greatest uh, – differential before that last round and um uh, but they were i think going to be they were slightly better than uh, a couple of the teams above them but yeah just an, an ordinary ordinary uh season to have a, a team with such a record qualify for the finals so um yeah that's that pretty much uh oh, sorry that then takes us to the the south the and general my my comment on that is simply uh, South took that physicality to Penrith, and Penrith didn't like it.
1: Yeah, I agree. That that was really what stood out to me watching that game. It was a bit similar to us versus Melbourne, in that you know both teams, South Sydney and Parramatta, really aimed up physically and, and looked to dominate those collisions. And Penrith were disrupted heavily, and they got right, you know using that quote back then with Mike Tyson, they got punched in the face, and they really couldn't adapt to it.
0: Yeah, so uh, maybe that's the exact. Uh, look, I, I when I've spoken about what I think Parramatta can bring in the game against Penrith, it's that physicality. That's the type of game we like to play. It's maybe accounts for why our uh, good performances against the Panthers have have led to really close games. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that if you were a Parramatta supporter watching that game between Penrith and South, that you're probably hoping for a South victory. Because the Rabbitohs have such a
1: Voo, better yeah. record
0: against <laughs> us than the than, um, that we we just don't want to face them. They they've just been outstanding against the Eels. Yeah, uh,
1: they've they've completely dominated recent history between the two franchises, and it's uh, Brad Arthur's gone a long way towards rectifying a lot of the historical or modern historical struggles Eels have had against specific franchises. But the Rabbitohs are like the final frontier. They're, they're the last one, the, there is white whale, you know, if you, (laughs) they're the one that just, he needs to finally get off the back at some point.
0: Yeah. So mate, just before we wrap up, uh, in this bonus edition of the, uh, tip sheet and we get to the team list because we're now able to bring the team list, uh, to this episode of the podcast. Um, Is there anything else from last weekend that you uh, wanted to speak to?
1: Uh, I think the controversy around the wall that the Roosters used on that uh, field goal that ultimately won them the game. Um, The Roosters finding a way to use the letter of the law, uh, (laughs) uh, not disparagingly, but uh, not even creatively, but just finding that little bit of allowance that the NRL don't want to deal with, where they're not standing directly shoulder to shoulder, but they are, for all intents and purposes, shoulder to shoulder, uh, which the NRL have now come out and said it's okay, they're not going to deal with it now. It's like, uh, okay, so we can do walls again. And then the other thing is that that made me laugh is that after all the brouhaha about uh, Wayne Bennett and uh, Ivan Curry, which we spoke about with Chris before, uh, especially given the, the blockers that Wayne sort of raised in the media, we saw Mitchell Moses get absolutely wiped out by Suasu Su on one of the most blatant uh, sort of blockers, escorts on a. Clearing kick that you'll ever see, and the referee didn't do anything about it. So, shows you how much they're paying attention sometimes.
0: So, with these blockers, with the uh, with the wall inverted commas, is it what that they're allowed to have hold a static position, and if the ball is caught on their outside shoulder, that they're not a. Uh, that they're not acting as a uh, an obstruction. Is that basically what it is?
1: My understanding is that the way the rule was written when they brought it back in recently after the, the controversy we saw with that period where it was just like you know war after war was that you can no longer stand shoulder to shoulder akin to a, a soccer, you know when you take a penalty kick or soccer, a dead ball kick, yes. um, and you see the guys line up in an actual shoulder to shoulder war, you can no longer do that in rugby league. But what the roosters were doing is that they're just standing marginally apart, so there is technically space between them. So they're not shoulder to shoulder, but they're still, for all intents and purposes, shoulder to shoulder. And the, uh, I'm not sure if it was Abdo or uh, someone else that came out on a briefing. I'm just trying to think who it might have been. <clears throat> uh, but they they came out and said that they're, they're fine with it as the rule is written. So I don't know if they're going to revisit the rule at some point, but... If you can still make a war, that's all, all intents and purposes a war. You know, what's the point of the rule?
0: Yeah, there used to be a rule where you had to... Both sides had to be so many metres behind the play the ball. Like, both teams. You couldn't, yeah. have a, um, you couldn't have a player...
1: Lurking up near the play the like, ball like that.
0: You know? Yeah, and it would be a penalty offside. And it was a rare one. But an an offside against the team in possession could be called... By a referee, and I had seen that in the past, where um, they had two players that were near, like where where they almost got in in, in each other's way near the play the ball, um, that someone was penalised for that, and then then of course you, you had the controversy around that and the mouse trap play, whether you, <laughs> whether you, you've trap, got yeah. one of those players was offside. There were all these things in the past. So I haven't kept up with how the rule has been rewritten around that, but you look at what was put on with that play with the roosters and you just go, it just looks like that. It might be to the letter of the law. If it looks like a duck
1: and it quacks like a duck, then, yeah, it's probably something that's illegal. So I'd like to see that rectified. We talk about rule changes. Can we just please polish the dumb stuff in our game like that rather than introducing or you know, looking to make seven tackle sets off finding touch and whatnot, just please rules committee, please. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: So mate, uh, we're not going to get into a preview of this, but we are going to quickly read out the, the team lists for this week and um, make a quick comment about the team list just to wrap up the, uh, today's podcast.
1: Yeah. So Parramatta Eels, obviously taking on the Penriff Panthers out of BB Print stadium in Mackay. So we moved from Rockhampton to Mackay this week and taking on, uh, a traditional rival who I was, I'm doing the teamless Tuesday post while we're sort of doing this podcast. And I was doing a little bit of research and uh, initially I thought this was the first time we've met since 1985 in the finals, but it's only a little bit better than that. It's the first time since 2000 that the Eels have taken on the Penrith Panthers in finals football, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so lots at stake for a, what is always a big derby game regardless, but you know, bragging rights, a chance to play the Melbourne storm and for that, the two teams look like this. Uh, the, Penrith Panthers' a couple of changes this week as they welcome back Dylan Edwards at fullback. That pushes Stephen Crichton from the custodial role to the wing with Paul Morowski and Matt Burton in the centers. Brian To'o is the other flanker, obviously, one of the, the sort of big weapons to look out for there in the Penrith Panthers outfit. In the halves, it's Jerome Luai at 5'8 and Nathan Cleary captaining the team or co captaining the team at halfback. Moses Leota and James Fisher Harris are in the front row. Uh, book ending Appius I Coruscant, the dynamic dummy half. In the back row, it's Viliami Kikau and Kurt Capor. Azai Yo, the second co captain and lock forward, rounds out that pack. On the bench, it's Mitch Kenny, Scott Sorensen, Tavita Pangai Jr., and Liam Martin. Extended roster features Spencer Leniu, Isaac Targo, Brent Naden, and Tyrone May. So that's a pretty formidable team, mate. No way how you want to try and spin it. Um, and you know the Eels have met them twice, although it only counts as one because the second match was that New South Wales Cup outfit we rolled out. But yeah, the the two teams have matched up pretty closely in recent history. It's always been very very physical contests. What do you make of that lineup,
0: mate? Is there anyone missing?
1: They are missing potential. Well, Charlie Stange drops out, but that's not really missing.
0: Um, no,
1: I'm just trying to think of who who could be in the Penrith injury report because that backline's got to be full strength. Edwards, Crichton, Momorowski, Burton, To'o. Obviously, the halves are full strength. Uh, The Spines' full strength in general, actually. Uh, Leota's worked his way into a starting position there at front row. So that makes sense that he's there with Fisher-Harris. That's their first 13, almost certainly, at the very least. Maybe on the bench, but Liam Martin, State of Origin forward, Tevita Pangai, massive pickup. Scott Sorensen was one of their huge improvers this year, and I think he's earned that spot on the bench by way of merit more like you know more than anything else um and mitch kenny's their sort of dummy half utility so i think yeah i think that is because yeah mitch kenny would be the only contentious spot as to whether they want to take an extra forward in spencer Lenu or the sort of hyper utility in tyrone may but yeah that is a, a full strength Penrith panthers outfit i'm pretty certain
0: yeah, so, uh, and now we've got the Eels side. So yeah. like if you can uh, have a bit of a run through of that, mate.
1: Well, we weren't expecting too many changes. Brad Arthur doesn't like to mess with a winning formula and for good reason. Um, the biggest thing we're hoping for would be the inclusion of Joey Lussick, but unfortunately, that calf strain has just been a little bit too niggly and we're going to have to wait at least one more week for him to come back. So the Eels have to push on without him. So the team list lines up like this of Quinton Guffson, captain of the team at fullback, on the wings, Hayes Dunster and Blake Ferguson in the uh, centres the outstanding Will Penasini, that rookie sensation who just keeps getting better and better, partnering Wanga Blake, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses, the halves, campbell Campergill, Junior Paulo, the outstanding two front rowers there, Ray Stone reprising his role at Dummy Half, and Jeezy did a good job there against Newcastle. In the back row, Sean Lane, Murata Niakoro, no surprises there, Nathan Brown locking the scrum. On the bench, Will Smith going to be working in tandem with Ray Stone at Dummy Half, also providing cover elsewhere if needed, Isaiah Papali'i, Bryce Cartwright, and then the one change this week, uh, Maka Hasey Makatoa drops out of a team making way for Ryan Madison. Maka then goes to 18th man who is joined there by Oregon Kafusi, Tom Opechik and Jake Arthur. So just the one unforced change this week. And I suppose that was a big question. A lot of people like, you know, sort of raised their eyebrows at Ryan Madison not being in inclusion last week. Uh, Brad Arthur choosing to reward the team that had knocked over the Melbourne Storm and understandably so. But now he brings back in one of his sort of most experienced players and and potential big game difference makers.
0: He, do you think what he's brought in, and I'm not saying Makatoa isn't mobile, because but he is. Um, uh, yeah,
1: relatively speaking, Madison is definitely more mobile than Makotoa. Yes.
0: Yeah, and, and that he's looking to counter that mobility in the uh, Penrith pack with uh, some of our own.
1: It's true. I'm, I'm you, a- you look at that Penrith bench, Sorensen and Martin are definitely... You know, sort of more mobile forwards and Pango Jr. for a big man is exceptionally light in his feet.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the Eels bench against that. And, and uh, you've got Mitch Kenny and Will Smith who are there as those like
1: for
0: like dummy half replacements. And then you're basically looking at, um, uh, big mobile players for the, uh, the bench matching up there. So, um, I guess he. I, I guess BA's looked at that and he's gone. Well, um, from a size perspective, uh, we don't need to go as as big as as maybe we did in previous weeks. So uh, yeah, we we can bring Mado back in and and bring a bit of um, class, experience, and um, maybe that capacity to provide a little bit more in attack
1: yes uh, Macker obviously rocks odd for the middle but Madison gives you a bit of a point of difference of his offloading ability and also just that kicking game you know he can give you an option on the fifth tackle when things go a little bit sideways so the big question will be how is he utilised because now with uh, two back rollers and, and Ice who can be using the back row but would be deployed as a middle forward in this game how do you get them onto the field and, and you know apportion a their minutes and we already know that the Eel's going to be leveraging the Big motors of Junior Paul on Reg and and Nathan Brown and Ice too for uh, you know premium minutes in the middle, which means that you got to figure out a way to get the back row rotation happening. And you know Murata can play eighty, um, but maybe he doesn't this week. Maybe they're going to just you know swap him out of Ryan Madison and swap Sean Lane out of Bryce Cartwright, or swap Sean Lane out with Ryan Madison, and then you can redeploy uh, Murata and Lane through the middle as needed. So that gives you a little bit of flexibility if the. The rotation, I suppose.
0: Yeah, well, it it, it could be a case of um, you see a first interchange with someone like um, Ice coming on, and maybe you get an early interchange of giving Lane a break through Ryan Madison, and then Lane comes on as an interchange for Junior Paulo yeah, um, yeah. to the middle. So you just feel that there's going to be some sort of, Juggling between the uh, middle and the back row players for uh, for Parramatta there. So um, and and again, you might see that scenario. Will Smith coming on just before half time to give Ray Stone a break.
1: I, I thought that um, was an excellent substitution. I did like the timing manner there, where it lets it means that Stone doesn't let the fatigue creep into his game, which can affect his service, and also gives the Eels a chance to go up tempo with uh, the live wire spark that is Will Smith. So that was a good a good substitution I fought in the weekend.
0: And, of course, the, the option that's there is if Will Smith is, um, say, if the game's unfolding in such a way where Will Smith is proving to be a valuable interchange at that point and he doesn't want to change him out, you've got that capacity for Ray Stone to um, shot into the middle there and in, in uh, Nathan Brown's spot if you wanted to give Brownie a bit of a break. Um, so there's, there's that option with that flexibility of the, that, sorry, the versatility of those players. So um, I expect that you're probably going to see very similar uh, rotation times, but you might see a bit of a mixture of, as I said, the players moving from back row to middle and how how BA juggles that's going to be the interesting point. But um, we'll we'll discuss some of that a little bit yeah. more when we get into our preview episode of the tip sheet with Bernie, which will be coming everyone's way on Thursday afternoon.
1: Yeah, very much an all this and more sort of moment for the podcast. So yeah, that, that's a it is always interesting to do a bonus recording like this because it sort of was prompted. You know, you, you sort of called me up and said, you know, hey forty, you feel like doing another recording? There's a bit of stuff we want to talk about in the weekend you know and you can line up a pretty cool guest and we sort of just went with it so we hope you all enjoyed it you know the tip sheet's always very fun to do a recording of especially when you can have a a great guest come on like chris and we do thank him for his time once again but yeah if you liked it thank you for listening thanks for stopping by you can always subscribe to SoundCloud, catch us on spotify and itunes as well don't be afraid to join us in the comment section and uh, throw out some of your extra thoughts from what happened in week one of the finals outside the Parramatta game as well
0: Yep, um, and and as mentioned, uh, stand by for our podcast on Thursday with Bernie Gear, and also featuring our interview for the uh, Borkham Hills Brumbies feature story.
1: Yes, sir. As always, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Stay safe in these times and look forward to our podcast with Bernie and look forward to a massive, massive, massive match with the Penrith Panthers on the weekend.
2: Cheers, everyone.